for just a moment. We'll read and jump right into it. You should have your lesson from last week, right? How many forgot? Oh, you're lying. I know there's more than that. All right, all right. Well, we, we, made, we made 300 more copies, so if you need one, does anybody need a lesson? Raise your hand. See, there you go, there you go. The honesty is coming forth. Help them pass them out, guys. Help them pass them out. How many of y'all was not here last week? You were not here last week. Really? Why? I'm kidding. I don't need to know that. That's personal. All right. Raise your hand. Make sure you get a lesson. Make sure you get a lesson. All right. Now, remember. Now, remember. Yeah, you're going to wear that Kentucky shirt, ain't you? Lord, have mercy. We're going to have to pray for that youngin. Amen? Now, remember, I, I, know, I know this is going to come as a shock to y'all, but uh, uh, make sure and pick up your outline every week. <clears throat> every week, all right? Uh, sometimes there won't be one, but make sure if, if it's a new outline, like last week, you know, we didn't, we didn't finish it, but make sure you look for one, and if not, grab it, and we'll get started. How many of y'all are excited about tonight? Man, me too. I'm excited. I couldn't wait to get here for Wednesday night. Uh, got a lot of stuff, a lot of information, and uh, some of these, some of these, somebody asked me, there, are you going to give out an outline or do I need to get a notebook? I said both. <laughs> both, because uh, if you like that kind of thing, if you like that kind of thing, I'm going to give you a lot of verses that go with this that's not in your outline because it would just mean you'd have to have a book in front of you. If you want to write down the addresses of it, and you can you can look it up later. Uh, you can do that, but to, to make it the speed to go by, uh, we're going to do it that way. So let's jump right in. Let's start. Let's start with verse nine. All right. Let's let's skip on down to verse nine, and uh, and I'm going to do a brief review one more time. One more time for those that were not here last week. Let me see that again, real quick. Raise your hand. Okay. Good man. That's great. We're going to do a brief uh, review that we covered last week, and so you can get called up to where we are this week, all right? If all God's people are excited to be here, say amen. amen. Let's look in verse number 9. Verse number 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in what? Tribulation. Tribulation. That means trouble, difficulty. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, and as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega. What color is your writing? Yeah. Who's speaking? Jesus. Now he, he is hearing the Lord speaking. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, say it with me, fear not, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth 
and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which are or shall be hereafter. Remember, that's the, that's the outline of Revelation. The past, the present, and the future. Write the things thou hast seen, chapter 1. The things which are, that's the present. That's chapters 2 and 3, the church age. And then chapters 4 throughout is the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven what? They are the seven churches. All right, let's pray and we'll jump right in. Lord, thank you for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful. Uh, for your, your, your word, we're, we're grateful for your presence and the promise that you've given us for those who study, read, and hear this word. God, I pray that you'll give us all what we stand in need of tonight. Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you may be seated. Here, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. Here's a, here's a brief review. We are sitting in a situation here in, in uh, the book of John, John is the last living apostle. He's the last living apostle. All of them have been killed. All of them, have, not just killed, but killed violently. They've been martyred for the faith. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is about 90 A.D. or 96 A.D. And, and, and uh, uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Israel has been ravaged by the Romans. Uh, uh, Nero, Nero blamed the, the burning of Rome on the Christians and that began a persecution and, and a killing of Christians that was unparalleled. And then about 30 years later, Domitian, made, uh, which was the, the emperor at that time, he made it uh, uh, basically a decree or made it legal to kill Christians and that has reached all the way to Asia, which is modern day Turkey. All right, say that with me, modern day that's where these seven churches are at, okay? And, and so now it is illegal to be a Christian. Now here's how, here's how Christians were seen in that day. All right, you got to understand the setting. Christians were seen by Romans as scum, okay? Now here's, here's a couple of things I want you to see. All right, the key cities, the key cities here, and if you look at a map, do I, do I have the map there? If you can put my map up here. I hope y'all can see that on that side. If if, if you can't, uh, 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 we'll just we'll just just. Act. There you go. All right, all right. Now here are the key cities. Now the, the the significant thing here is these cities were seven postal districts here in Asia. So it was where all the information disseminated out of. If that makes sense, say Amen. They were key cities here in. Asia. Now, this is modern-day Turkey. First you see Ephesus, then Smyrna, and you would go clockwise. This is how a messenger would make his route and go to these key cities. All right, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then to Laodicea. All right? Now, does this make sense? Say amen. Now you know where the, this, this, these letters are going to. You know who he's writing to. These were real cities, real time. This was not symbolic. He is writing this book, and, he, he, and, and, and here's the thing you've got to realize. When John wrote this down, he wrote it down seven times. He sent this letter and he sent this book, the book of Revelation, to these seven churches. So he had to write it seven times, all right? Now, here, here's, here's the, the, the deal. Romans looked at the Christians politically as, as enemies. 
They view Christians as disloyal to Caesar as supreme authority because they refuse to offer obligatory sacrifices to worship the emperor. Now, so politically, they were, they were looked down upon. Religiously, religiously they were looked down upon because they renounced and rejected the Roman gods and they worshipped an invisible god and not an idol. They were looked down socially. Most were lower class of society. And they were despised by the Roman aristocracy. And the Christians were teaching all people were equal. Imagine that. Now, they didn't openly oppose, uh, they didn't openly oppose slavery, but they were telling people, listen, the master is no better than the slave. In Christ's eyes, they are the same. And, and you can imagine in the social structure of Rome, that was, that was unheard of. All right, so they were looked down socially. They would not attend the pagan festivals and the events of Rome. Economically, economically they were causing problems because priests, merchants, and craftsmen were losing money. Why? Because they would make the idols. They would build and create the idols. The priests would run the religious circuit, and they would sell, merchants would sell the sacrifices for the pagan temples. Well, all these people are getting saved, and they're coming to know Christ, so they stopped going to the pagan temples, and they stopped buying the sacrifices, and they stopped buying the idols, so they start losing money. How many of y'all know when you start messing with somebody's money, you're going to get on them? And so... Christianity was causing some major problems. So Christianity became illegal. John is 90-something years old. He is in a prison camp. The island of Patmos is a penal colony. This was a labor camp, okay? This is, and I'm trying to build in your head, build in your head what, what this situation is and how dire the situation is. The churches are going bad. The seven churches that we're going to read about in, in a few weeks, we're going to find out how bad it's getting. Uh, they're losing their first love. They're, they're, they're starting to allow idolatry and immorality. They're, they're, uh, 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 I mean, it's just a multitude of things going on that, that God is upset with. Church, it, from, from a man's point, it looks bad. It looks bad. John's the last one. John's getting discouraged. John is having to sleep on the floor in a cave. 90 years old. I don't want to do that at, at 20 years old. Amen? But here's where we are. Here's where we are. The times look tough. The times look difficult. Everything's pagan. All of his buddies, all of his heroes, all of his help, they're dead. And here he is. How many of y'all are glad that God shows up right on time? Sometimes I think he's behind schedule. But that's, that's never true. He's always on time. And he shows up. And that's how we get the book of Revelation. Okay? So let's see what takes place. He is giving a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, here's what we said Revelation is. The word Revelation means uncovering, right? Revealing. It's taking off the covers, letting you see part of his son that he wants you to see and he wants you to understand. So here's, here's how we want to go through this. Let's read. Let's start in verse number 10. <clears throat> Let's start in verse number 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This is Sunday. This is Sunday. After the resurrection, people begin to worship and gather together and, and do their spiritual things on the Lord's day, which would have been Resurrection Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday and we don't celebrate the Sabbath, all right? And we heard a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, 
the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. So what's happening? Jesus, the glorified Christ, is speaking to John. The same one that John walked up and down the riverbanks with, the same one that John was in the boat with, the same one that was fed by Jesus by, with thousands when, when, he, when he took the lad's lunch and fed thousands, the same one that was in the garden with him praying before his arrest and trial, the same John that Jesus looked down and said, Behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. Remember when he, we, he gave his, his mother over while he was on the cross and he gave him the responsibility of taking care of his own mama, same John, same Jesus, same John, okay? Now, but there, there's been some time has gone by. Several, 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 several years have gone by, all right? Jesus is not, Jesus is not the same as he used to be. He's not, he's not in the mild, meek, and lowly. He's not uh, uh, someone who has no place to lay his head now. If you'll remember, he came into his own and his own received him not, Right? He said that foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not the same Jesus. We're looking at a glorified Christ. Christ in his glory, in his resurrected form. He hasn't seen him yet. He's hearing him, right? He's hearing him. He's hearing the voice behind him as a trumpet, and he's telling him what he wants done. He wants you to write this letter. He wants you to write this information down. Write what you've seen, what you see, what you hear, and send it to the seven churches that was in that, in that map. I want you to send them. And here's the thing. Remember, the number seven means fullness. It means complete. So those seven churches represent those seven churches. But they also represent the church. So when he was writing the letters to those churches, he was writing them to you. Because the seven churches represents the whole church. Who is the whole church? Every born-again believer is part of the body of Christ, the church of the living God. If that makes sense, say amen. So when we see these seven churches, we know they were specific churches in modern-day Turkey area, but they represented the church as a whole. And I'm not going to go into as much now tonight, but as we go into the seven, letter, the seven letters in chapters 2 and 3, I'm going I'm to explain that even more. So if everybody's with me so far, say amen. amen. Okay, let's keep reading. <clears throat> he said, Send unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see. He said, I wanted to see. I wanted to see him. I wanted to see who was talking with me. I turned to see the voice which spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, let's, let's, now remember what I said last week. Anytime you see symbolism in, in the book of Revelation, if you'll keep reading, he'll tell you what it is, right? So here in verse number 12, we see seven golden candlesticks, right? Right? Now let's skip to verse 20. Skip to verse 20. Now as we go down to verse 20, he's going to tell us who, what this is. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks uh, are, are which thou sawest are the... Okay, now, those seven candlesticks represent the seven, seven churches. The seven stars in his right hand represents... The, the word that's used in your, in your Bible is angels. It is the word translated messengers. 
I believe this is in reference to the pastors of those seven churches. The one responsible for bringing the word from God to them, that's who's in his right hand. If that makes sense, say amen. So we know the stars are the messengers or the pastors, I believe, and the, and the seven golden candlesticks are the seven. That's who they represent, all right? Now, I'm going to show you a, a, a picture. Now, trust me, trust me. This is just an artist's rendition to try to help you see something, right? Okay, does everybody understand that? We're not saying this is exactly what John saw. This, we're just trying to draw out what we think the Bible is saying it looked like to him. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, let me, let me see the vision, okay? Now, do you see the seven lampstands? Seven, the seven lampstands, the seven uh, golden candlesticks. Then you, see, then you see his outfit. You see uh, the robe and the golden sash, and in his right hand are the seven, seven stars, okay? Now, keep that, just keep that up for just a second, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this just a little bit. All right, here's what, here's what I want you to get out of that. What, what is he appearing like? Look, let me, let me read it. Let me read it, and then we'll come back. Verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like in the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth, in his strength. Man, this was a vision. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This was shocking to John. Now remember, remember, John was the one that put his head on, on, on the Lord's chest to hear his heartbeat. He was the closest to the Lord. If there was, if Jesus had a best friend, it would have been John. But when John turns and sees the glorified Christ in his glorified form, it blew his mind. He fell at his feet as dead. It was so shocking. It was so powerful. It was so fearful and, 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 and reverential, awe-inspiring. He fell at his feet as dead. Now, here's, let's look at this. First, the garment. First, the garment. Now, this part's not in your notes. You may want to write this down. He's appearing as the priest, okay? He's appearing as the high priest. This was a garment the high priest would wear, okay? He's appearing as the high priest. Now let me give you some verses. Let me give you some verses. <clears throat> and then you can you can you know write the address down and, and look them up later. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 17. Hebrews 2 17 and 18. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. In other words, because he went through trials, he can help you through your trial. Because he endured suffering, because he endured ridicule, because he endured people rejecting him and, and listen, betraying him, he can come to your aid and nobody knows what you go through like those who have gone through it. Are y'all with me? God the Son, the eternal Son, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Now let's remember what a priest is. Let's remember what a priest is. A priest was a representative, right? A priest was a representative. It was man's representative to God and it was God's representative to man. Y'all with me? The priest was man's representative to God. In other words, the priest would go to God on behalf of man. 
But then God would go to man, or the priest would go to man on behalf of God. That's what the priest's duties were. And the priest would communicate with man what God said. And he would intervene and pray for man. Well, what happened? Jesus came and took upon himself flesh to become our high priest. He went through what we went through. He experienced what we experienced. He was in all points tempted and yet without sin. He is our high priest. Amen. He is in amongst the he is in amongst the candlesticks. He is in the church and he is operating as our interceding high priest. Amen. Amen. Write this down. Hebrews 4:14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 7:24. Hebrews 7:24 through 26. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession. Hallelujah. I feel a little God right there. Amen. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Romans 8, 35. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, also maketh intercession for us. We see the glorified Christ in amongst the church interceding on behalf of men. When you fail, when you make mistakes, when you fall, you have a high priest who is in the presence of God who knows your weaknesses, he knows your issues, and he is talking to the Father on your behalf. He ever liveth. We always brag about the cross, and we should. We should celebrate the cross. We should remember the cross. We should tell the whole world that Jesus died for sinners. But I'm here to tell you, he didn't just die. He rose again. He didn't just pay for my sin, but he's ever living, interceding on my behalf. Somebody say amen. He is our high priest. He is operating as the messenger, the go-between. There is a man upstairs. Say amen. And that's the only legit way to say that. Don't be so disrespectful. Say, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs. If you're not talking about the human Jesus Christ who, who the word became flesh and dwelled among us, in the say amen. Amen. Listen, he's our priest. He's our priest. Hallelujah. Boy, that's good stuff. Amen. All right, let's jump in this. Let's jump in this. <clears throat> let's talk some more. Let's talk some more. Number one, <clears throat> number one, jump in your notes. Jump in your notes. When you get there, say amen. amen. We're looking under the vision. We're looking under the vision. We see the description of his appearance. The description of his appearance. We see his head and his hair were white like wool. That represents A, a righteous judgment. A righteous judgment. Always remember, white represents purity. Right. Righteousness. We have the, at the end of Revelation, you find the great white throne judgment. Right? The great white. Come on, everybody. The great white throne judgment. That represents it's pure, it's holy Everything done at that judgment will be perfectly right. He is holy. 
His judgment is righteous, all right? Then we see not only the white, <clears throat> and, the, and, and, and by the way, this is, this is not no flat white neither. Y'all with me? This is glossy. This is blazing. This is glorious. So how do you know? Because if you keep reading, it says his appearance, he was shining as the sun. Y'all, I just had to throw that in there because I didn't need y'all, you know, misunderstanding that. Look at this. Look at this. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And by the way, you don't get whiter than snow. If you look at a jug of milk in your refrigerator, it looks white. You take that milk and pour it in snow, and it's yellow. Trust me. Amen? Don't get no whiter than snow. All right? Now watch, 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 watch. Huh. Aren't y'all glad y'all got a redneck preacher? Amen. You just don't get this stuff. You just don't get this stuff from smart people. Amen? Look what it says in verse, verse 14. As white as snow, and his eyes were as a... Imagine that. Burning eyes. I mean, eyes that, that resemble lasers. Burning, piercing, piercing eyes. What does this represent? A revealing judgment. Write that down. Write that down. We see a righteous judgment, but also a revealing. Now, remember, remember, what we're seeing here is Jesus' glorified form and his ministry in the church. Where's he hanging out? In, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches, right? And we're going to talk about that in just a second, but, but that's where he's at. This is his ministry in the church. So what does that mean? Jesus is here, and he's got piercing eyes. Piercing, revealing, uncovering, looking through, going to the heart of the matter. You see, everybody in here, we can be real surface. Just surface deep. Everybody, we can come in here and look good to each other. But God sees your attitude. God sees everything. God understands and knows everything. You can hide stuff from me. You can hide stuff from your spouses. You can hide stuff from your parents. But you're not going to hide anything from those piercing eyes. Let me, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me give you a couple verses. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 5. Write that down beside here. Write that down beside B. Matthew 10, 5. Fear them. Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. That's Matthew 10, 5. Then write down Hebrews 4, 13 beside there. Hebrews 4, 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What are you saying? I'm saying that Jesus is here. And he's got a righteous judgment. He's got a revealing judgment. His eyes are piercing to the very heart of the matter. But then his feet are as fine brass. Verse 15, and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. This is a refining judgment. A refining judgment. I, 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 I see, I can't help but think in my mind, one who purifies gold or purifies silver. 
and that, and that cauldron is so hot and so heated up that it makes that gold or that silver to bubble and the dross, the, the impurities come to the top. And that represents, that represents Christ's ministry in the church. We see him, we see him as the lamb and we shout. He's the sacrifice. He took our sins. He, 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 he is the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He's the resurrected Lord. He got up on the third day. Man, we shout all over the building about that stuff. But we forget he's also, he's also our boss and our Lord and our groom. We're the bride of Christ. And he is going to prepare us to be with him. Now watch. Why is all this necessary? Why, why, why is all this necessary? Why is this appearance and understanding his, his ministry? Why is this necessary? But watch this. Here's some verses I want you to, you just have to write them down because I, I just made copies. Just write these down. Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect. The word means complete, matured. You remember, you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, it says God has given us pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, all these for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The word perfecting means complete, maturing, developing. God wants us to be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect, complete. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might... Watch this now. Watch this. Watch this. God saved you. God saved you. If you're a child of God, he saved you. He betrothed you. You're engaged to Christ. He, you are the bride and he is the groom. But watch what his intentions are. Watch what his intentions are. Verse 25 or verse 26. That he might, that he might sanctify. Say that with me. Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and be without blemish. Colossians 1.21 And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. Say it with me. Present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 1 Peter 1.15 but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now what are we getting out of that? What I'm trying to tell you is this. That as a part of the church, as a part of the bride of Christ, we come to Christ stained. We come to Christ messy. We come to Christ with issues and problems and, and weaknesses and, and failures. Are, are y'all with me? Say amen. We come with messes and, 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 and tragedies and all kind of stuff and we come to him just like we are because we don't have the ability to fix ourselves. We don't have the ability to change ourselves. We don't have the ability to do those things. We just come to God just like we are and thank God he takes us just like we are in our messes, in our failures, in our weaknesses. But he doesn't leave us that way. He begins a process of cleaning up 
He begins a process of polishing. He begins a process of taking away the dross and taking away the things that dirty us up, taking away the issues and taking away the stuff that's had us all messed up all of our life. And he begins a process of cleaning and sanctifying because one day he's going to present you and he's going to present me to himself there at the wedding supper of the Lamb, clean and holy, pure and righteous, cleaned up by him somebody say amen. amen hallelujah I know I look a mess but he's still working on me I know I got issues I know I'm not what I should be but honey I'm not what I used to be and I'm not what I'm going to be he is cleaning us up he is making us holy uh, it says Romans eight twenty eight. Romans eight twenty. don't we love that Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, them that are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You step in the church house and God goes to cutting on you. God goes to cleaning you up. It reminds me of when I was a little old kid and mom would come in there and say, are y'all clean? And we'd say, yeah, we're clean. And she'd say, no, you're not. And she'd take a wash rag and she had a finger this long and she'd wrap that finger that wash rag around that finger and jam it through your skull. Say amen. <laughs> She'd dig in your ears and outside of your ears because when me and my brother come in from outside, we were dirty from head to toe and she'd start a process of scrubbing on us. She wanted us clean and God wants you clean. God wants you holy. God wants you pure and he'll put you through the ringer. He'll get you clean. He'll get you clean. I love it when people, I love it when people try to sound spiritual and they ain't. <clears throat> Don't you love it when people say that? I know that before y'all laugh, I'm fixing to lay it to you. You probably said this. I know you heard it. How many of y'all have ever heard this or said this? Now don't pray for patience. Whatever you do, Mama and Papa always told us don't pray for patience because tribulation worketh patience. And if you pray for patience, you're just going to get tribulation and you're just asking for trouble. How many of y'all have heard that? How many of y'all are not ashamed to say you said it? I said it because I heard it. And it sounded good at the time. But you know what I've learned? If I need patience, it doesn't matter if I pray for it or not. God's going to bring tribulation my way because if I need it, he's going to send it. And if you've got issues in your life, he knows it. And he's cleaning you up. He's got a righteous judgment that knows everything. He is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. That's the first and last letters of the, listen, the, the Greek alphabet. And it, it means he encases all knowledge. He knows everything about you. And his eyes can see what you're hiding from everybody. They're piercing. They're piercing. <laughs> yeah, I'm preaching. I feel like it. I'm preaching. It's Bible study, but it's it. Here's what the Bible says. I'm just quoting the Bible. The Bible says a preacher or a bishop, he's to be apt to teach. Apt. 
That means he should be a preacher who can teach if he wants to. Now, so if we're teaching and I break out preaching, I'm doing what God gave me. <clears throat> Amen. All right, all right, knock it off. We got a lot to cover. We better get back to teaching. Amen. Look, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 5. How's he going to do this? How's he going to do this cleaning up stuff? Hebrews 12, 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For when, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. That's a souped up whipping. Say amen. Every son, everyone, every child of God, if you belong to him, you got it coming. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, whereof all, whereof all. Let me, let me explain what that means. Coming to this church doesn't make you a child of God. There's people that comes here living in gross sin, knowing they're doing it, knowing they're doing it, but they come in anyway and they feel, I'm a child of God. Well, if you can keep doing that and God don't whoop your britches, because all his sons get a whooping. And it says if you're without chastisement, you're illegitimate. Your talk don't match your walk. Y'all with me? Now watch, 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 watch. Furthermore, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our what? Profit. That we might be, watch this now. Why is God going to scourge us? Why is God going to chasten us? Why is God going to rebuke us? Why is God going to get our attention? Why is his piercing eyes going to go deep into our soul and see stuff in there that we don't even realize is there and bring out and correct us and chasten us and clean us up? Why is he going to do this? That we might be partakers of his now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. He's got piercing eyes that can see it all. And you can hide it from me. You can hide it from everybody. But what's in the dark is going to come to the light. He's in the church and he's ministering. There was, there was a phrase that we're going to hear over and over again when we get into this, chapters 2 and 3. Every single letter has this phrase. Every single one. All seven. I know thy works. I know. I know. How does he know? He's got piercing eyes. Nothing can be hid from those eyes. Nothing, can, nothing could, be, could be shaded from those eyes. He sees it all. Amen? Look here. 
There's a righteous judgment, a revealing judgment, uh, a refining judgment. If that all that makes sense, say amen. He's, what, what, is this, what is this part of his description? What is it teaching us? He's promoting holiness in his church. He's wanting righteousness in his church. He's wanting purity. One day he wants us to present us pure and holy before him. All right, now, the dwelling of his activity. Number two, we see number one, the description of his appearance. Number two, the dwelling of his activity. Can I have the, can I have the, the, uh, the, the picture of Jesus again? Let me see that. All right, where is he standing? Where is he standing? Where is he standing? In the midst or in the middle, among the candlesticks. The candlestick represents the, the churches. Now, you remember, seven means complete fullness, whole. So these seven candlesticks represent the whole. So if he's in the midst of the, guess who's here right now? This is where he dwells. Now, now, let me, let me help you. Let me help you. He's not here in this building. You brought him. But he manifests himself where it says two or three are gathered. They're in the... So we could all pack up and go to the Walmart parking lot and gather together. And guess who would be there? You say, why are you making it? Why are you emphasizing this? Because I don't want you to think that you're leaving him here when you leave. And I don't want you to think he's waiting on you to get back here. Because that mentality, I'm, uh, this is serious. This is serious. This has messed up people's philosophies. You say, what does that do to people? It allows them, if they really believe God's here in this place, this place is holy, it's sanctified. Only when you get here, when you leave, it's concrete and wood. It ain't no different than a roller rink. It's not. Let me tell you what that does. That allows people to be one thing here and something else out there. But if we understand, we're the church. We're the church. And guess who's in the midst of it? That's right. That changes everything, doesn't it? Watch this. Don't you see the, the dwelling of his activity? Where is he active? In the midst of the church, verse 13, verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, he's active in the church. Aren't you glad Jesus is active in here? What does that, what does that mean? What does that teach us? A, he's aware of its practice. He's aware of its practice. What did I say was in every letter? I know thy, he knows what we're doing. He knows how well we're doing it. He knows what we're not doing. He knows what we should be doing. He knows those of you that are doing and those that you ain't and should be. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't know. I don't have to. Because there's somebody with piercing eyes 
that has his eye on you. Mm -hmm. Moving right along. Because he's dwelling in our midst right now. I mean, think about that. He's right here. He's in our midst. Christ's presence is here. He's aware of our practice, but he's also aware of our problems. What did he tell the church of Ephesus? He said, I know thy works. Your labor, your patience, you're not putting up with sin. But then he says this, then he says this, but I have somewhat against thee. If he is in the midst of the church and he has piercing eyes that can see through everything, can see through the facade, can see through the fake, can see through the fluff. And there's a lot of fake and there's a lot of fluff in, in, in Christianity today. But we serve a Christ who can see through all of that. He's aware of what we do. He's aware of our actions. He's aware of our work. He's aware of what we do, but he's aware of our problems too. Almost all of these churches had one. They were different. It just happened to be that Ephesus had left its first love. What does that mean? They were operating out of obligation and not adoration. Now, I don't want to get too much on that because that will be a couple weeks from now. But they had issues. Guess what? We have issues. This one going to help you preach now. I'm going to tell you that right now. But you're right. We do. You know why? We're made up of people. And here's, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to do. Everybody, here's a reality check. <clears throat> Stop getting mad every time God gets on your toes. Because I didn't know you did it that week. I just preached what he told me to. Your wife didn't tell me. I didn't get an email. I'm not on Snapchat, so I don't know about none of that. We got a Savior who's got piercing eyes that knows what we need to hear. Watch this, guys. Even the things we don't want to hear. Can you imagine? I mean, at the first part of that whole letter to Ephesus, it was unbelievable. Man, this was a hard-working church. They didn't put up with sin. They didn't. Can you imagine all that they thought was so good about everything they were doing? And then him say, but I got a problem. They probably didn't want to hear that. At least we're here. At least we're showing up. We're doing more than what others are doing. But you know what Jesus said? But I care about why you're doing it. You know why? Because you won't do something out of obligation long. But if you're doing it out of adoration, you can tough out some hard stuff. He knows our problems. He's aware. He's aware of our practice. He's aware of our problems. But thank God in heaven, he's aware of the prescription. He knows how to fix it. I'm glad there's no church that's got too big a problem that he can't fix. None. Because in every single one, he said, I know what you're doing. I know what the problem is. And this is what you need to do about it. He's got an answer. I know thy works. Thou art, listen, he said, he said, remember from whence, this is the church of Ephesus. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do thy first works. 
or else I will cut. He tell them what to do. Aren't you glad Jesus knows? Aren't you glad Jesus is here? Aren't you glad Jesus has got you in a process of making you holy? Aren't you glad God's going to give you tribulation whether you like it or not if you need patience? Yep. Whether you said amen or not, you're getting it. <clears throat> amen. Whoa, we got to hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Then we see number three. Have I missed any yet? I always miss one or skip one, and y'all get mad and, like, send me emails and stuff, all right? All the, all the, the blanks are full so far, right? Okay, number three. Number three. We see the directing of his agenda. He's got an agenda. He's got an agenda. A. He's in the midst. That's verse 13. He's supervising. He's supervising. He's the boss. He's here among us, supervising. Verse 16. And he had in his, everybody, and he had in his right hand the seven stars. He's not only supervising, but he's steering. He's steering. The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turn it with us every will. You see, this, this right hand is not necessarily the hand of protection. It's the hand of authority. It's the hand of authority. These seven stars are the seven messengers. Right? I truly believe he's in reference to the seven pastors of those churches. And what is it, what is it teaching us? He's steering them. He's guiding them. He's directing them. There is not one single pastor in America who is the boss of the church. He is the under-shepherd. He is the under-shepherd. He takes direction from the chief shepherd. Christ is to guide him. Christ is to direct him. Christ is his boss. Christ is his authority. There have been men who said, he said, listen, I, can, I don't have a verse for it, but since I'm the pastor, you're to follow me. That's, that's heresy. I have no authority over you that I cannot have by Scripture. In other words, the only authority I have over you is what I can tell you the Bible says. I can't tell you because I said it. Why? There's one directing. There's one guiding. And the, and the good news is, it's a good thing he is because he's the only one that can see. If I preach what I wanted to most of the time, y'all be in trouble. Because <laughs> sometimes y'all can be frustrating. There's been times I've typed out a post this long and I'm right before I hit that send button, bless God. I feel them fingers. Come on, Lord, just one time. No. No. You hear me a lot. You hear me a lot. And all joking aside, you hear me a lot say, Lord, please don't let me say something I'm not supposed to. Please don't let me forget something that I'm supposed to. 
What am I asking for? I'm asking for his hand to guide and direct and tell me what to say. He said the seven stars are in his right hand. And by the way, let me say this, just throw this out here. I don't need to do this because it's like I'm defending myself and I don't need to do that. But he don't need your help to do that either. I don't tell anybody how to build a 350 Chevrolet. <clears throat> I don't. I don't tell how anybody how to do pr computer programming because <clears throat> the whole thing would crash. <laughs> Be careful of being a Sunday evening armchair quarterback. Everybody thinks they know what the church should do or how the church should be or what the church should whatever. But sometimes I know stuff you don't. Be careful. Be careful. I've been in, I've been in restaurants and hearing somebody on the next, next table over just crucifying their preacher. I'm thinking, dear God in heaven. I'm glad I ain't him. What do you think? What do you think them kids are thinking? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen when them kids get to the age where they can make their own choice and make their own minds? And then you call Johnny's just going crazy on me. I need you. You think little Johnny's gonna listen to the one you've crucified for 27 years? Be careful. It's all good. They're in his hands. He can direct, he can supervise, he can steer. He's not only supervising, steering, but he's also speaking. In his mouth, verse 16, is a sharp two-edged sword. What does the Bible say the scriptures are? Sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm glad that God does speak in here. I'm glad I hear from him. Man, I tell you what, there's nothing like hearing from God and knowing when you get there, you're going to. We see the voice. All right, let's look at the voice. Look what it says. We got four minutes. We can, we can do it, guys. I got faith. Come on. <clears throat> look what it says. It says in, in uh, verse, uh, where's the voice? 15. Look at verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice, his voice as the sound of what? Two things I want you to write down here. We see the res it's resounding in authority. There's two, two factors here. Resounding in authority. I don't know if you've got that, but two factors. The announcement factor as of a trumpet. And that reminds us of, of Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, the voice of the trumpet. Come on, everybody. The voice of the exceeding loud so that all of the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with who? Now, what does this teach us about the Son of God? It teaches his deity. It parallels him with God. It teaches us Jesus is, he is God. All right, then the all factor. The all factor. Not only the announcement factor as of a trumpet, but then as the sound of many waters, the all factor, A-W-E, all factor. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Listen, here, here's, here's the sound of many waters. You have that, can y'all play that video? 
Here's something I want you to get. Make it loud, too. Help us. been here? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Okay, we see some hands. Now, everybody I talk to that has been there, they say, you just can't believe it. You stand in awe. You know how we're supposed to receive the word of God? In awe. When we hear God's voice. Guess what? Even when it's not the sound of many waters, even when it's a still, small voice, it should leave us in awe. Church, say amen. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Write this down. We see it's resounding in authority. He falls as dead. This is just so powerful. I mean, it's shocking. He is fearful. He's, he's so afraid. But then we see it's reassuring in affection. Look what he said. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, saying unto me, saying unto me, fear not. I want you two things. The touch that calmed him. The touch that calmed him. How many of y'all are glad for the touch of God? In times of difficulty. Then the truth that comforted him. The touch that calmed him, he laid his hands upon him and said, fear not. Then the truth that comforted him, he, he revealed who he was. He said, I am he that liveth. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Lastly, I want you to see the victory. <clears throat> the victory. All right. One, I want you to see his present state. I am, I am, I am he that liveth. There, there are people today that still think he's in the tomb. But what is Jesus telling you? I am he that liveth. I am he that liveth, his present state. Then number two, I want you to see his past sacrifice. He's telling John, he said, make no mistake about it, son, I was dead. It was me that you put in the tomb. It was me that was hanging on that cross. It was me who took his last breath and said, it is finished, and I gave up the ghost. I was dead. But that's in the, look here. Number three, his permanent sovereignty. But I am alive, what? Forevermore. And have the keys. What are keys? It gives you authority, authorization. Who has the keys? The one that owns the joint. <clears throat> Y'all with me? He's the only one. He has permission. He has authority to go in and out. What is the keys to? What is the keys to? Death and hell. All right. One is the condition. The other is the place. Death is the condition. Hell is, or Hades is the place, right? 
It is the place of the dead. And what this is saying, he says, I control death and lives. I control death and life. Why is that encouraging? Why is that encouraging? Because we got a man that's 90 years old in a cave and all of his buddies have been killed. And we see a God who is reassuring, reassuring his servant that I am still in charge. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. We got it. We got it. We're just over by a minute. Amen. All right. All right. Listen. I, tell somebody. Bring somebody next week. Everybody needs to hear this stuff, man. In the world we live in right now, in the chaotic situations we're living in right now, we need to hear this. We're going to hear seven letters that are so encouraging. Uh, maybe, maybe one letter at a time. I don't know. It just depends on how God gives it to me, but we'll, we'll, we'll get what we can. But we see he is showing his servant everything's going to be all right. John, I know it looks bad. I know it looks bad. I know, that, I know the circumstances look terrible. I know the conditions that you're in. I know all of that, but my promises still stand sure. Everything's going to be all right. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Lord.